Well, thank you guys. I know that I am honored because Ricky gave me his mic and he does not share his mic. Have you noticed that? You, all the other guest speakers get the little tiny wire one. This one, you could land planes with this mic. Yeah, Bravo One. Yeah, Delta. Yeah, we've got a Cessna coming across on uh, Vector 4. Would you give me a... See that? I could land a plane with this. Oh, my. How delighted. Um, my wife is here, Stacy. Uh, no, this is where you guys applaud and everything. Yeah. I have to say it was her birthday or something maybe to get her applause, but it's not. Um, anyways, it is such a treat at this time in our lives that we get to travel a lot together. When I go speak, she comes with me and uh, she says that she's my service animal. Uh, she just kind of takes care of me and she truly does. And we love it. When we travel, we are like 20 year olds. We are just embarrassingly uh, out of control fun. But I work at home now. When I'm not on the road, I'm at home and that's just too much. It's too much seeing of each other. People should go away and then come back. We are just there. And the trouble with being there is that you see things about the other person that you shouldn't see. You should see them every now and then, but you see them all the time now. Like, for instance, Stacy doesn't... <clears throat> Stacy doesn't always turn off the stove when she's done. It's, we don't, it's not like we have a gas stove, but we have a stove, and, and it's on. And I, 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 I couldn't even believe someone could do that. But now I see it more often. I see that she leaves the stove on. And I, early on I said to her, Honey, you can, you're going to burn, the, you, you can't do that. You've got to turn the stove off or we're, it's going to catch fire. We're all going to die. Which, which always has brought the best out of her. <laughs> she likes to respond, oh yes, oh yes. I, I was going to put some paper towel on there so it would burn sooner and we could get insurance money. I, do you think I want to forget? And so I have just learned to not say anything and just turn it off for her, which is brilliant. It has saved our marriage, I believe. Yeah. But uh, the only trouble with that is she gets a false sense of security. She thinks she's turning it off every time. It was our secret till today. The other side of that, this just happened on Thursday. I was taking out the recycling bin. Again, seeing each other too much. And we've got to, to get to the recycling bin, it's, it's a no easy task. I've got to get into uh, our backyard, unlatch things. It's, it's just the sprinkler's just gone because it's early morning. I've got to get out before the truck gets there. And we've got a bad wheel, really bad wheel, like half of it's just cracked off. And we've tried several times to get it fixed. We just don't have the chops. We don't can't get the people to give us a new one. So I, I take it out to the front, the neighbors, it's embarrassing. And it felt light, to be honest with you, but I just, that's what I do. I get it out and take it out. And Stacy, I come back in the house and later in the day, Stacy says, hey, um, was there anything in the recycling bin? 
I don't know, I just took it out. She said, you know, you could do this. <laughs> I thought, I, I sat there in that moment, I thought, you have married the dumbest man on the planet. I'm so sorry you had to marry me. Oh, God. And yet she stays. I think it's for these trips. I get to take her on nice trips. So. Anyway, uh, I tell you that uh, because I want to play fun with us, but knowing that these truths that we, uh, I'm about to teach, we really live out. We really are trusting with each other. Was that a great catch or what? I don't see that all the time. I practice that at home, just have it slide off. Give me the first slide if you would. The objective is not to create communities appearing to have sin under control, but for leaders to nurture a safe and real enough place where people can come out of hiding and let others into their sin and failure. There, sin loses power, and we can be healed, trusting Christ's redemption, forgiveness, and repentance. It's messy but it's utterly healthy. And those who live in it become free and as they end up learning to receive love as a beautiful byproduct, they sin less. We, we have this Christ in us nature. Jesus Christ lives in us, fused with us at the cellular level. But, but we have this thing called flesh. And um, one of the things it does is it uh, causes me to not be able to see myself accurately. I, I, I struggle seeing myself accurately. I, I was a, a director in plays that we used to do for our church, and I could direct everyone, I think, really well. There was only one guy could never direct well, me. And it's that way in life. I need that woman who is fragile and has her own stuff. I need her protection to tell me how I'm doing. I need some of your protection to tell me how I'm doing. So, the spiritually immature, they're not loved well. But it's not because they fail. They're not loved well because they choose to not trust the love of another whom God has God brought to them. And because they trust no one, their needs aren't met. And because their needs aren't met, they live in selfishness. Not only do they not receive love, they don't give it. It would be a great gift to the church if we could discover and believe self-protection is an oxymoron. You can't protect yourself. That gig has been a lie that has crippled a lot of us. I don't have the chops to protect myself, and not one of you in this room does. If I'm triggered over an issue, I can um, act out subjectively and make myself the issue. I can get embarrassed. 
and then shame hits, and you know shame. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there is something historically and irreparably wrong with who you are. And no matter what you do, nothing's ever going to change. So if I get triggered over an issue, those things can happen. But I have also learned that love gets to express itself in protection. In someone who, who gets permission to step into that madness and stand with me. We made a statement in one of our books. All of us are awakening to the pain of realizing we can't control our world the way we thought we could. Stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms we're trying to fix and all without the help of anyone else. And the answer that we give is, uh, what if there was a place so safe, so authentic, so real in a marriage, in a friendship, in a bowling partner, in a, in a pickleball partner, in a, in a church, in a small group, in the office? What if there was a place so safe that the most real me could be known? And I would discover that I would be loved more, not less, in the telling of it. What if the worst about John Lynch could be known by some? And I would discover that I would be loved more, not less, in the telling of it. You know what happens when that, when that exists? My issues begin to be healed. What if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden? I think sometimes in our homes we're just trying to fix things and make people look good and not be uh, looking embarrassed in the community so we fix things. The truth is nothing ever gets fixed. What if instead of fixing things, we counted it as more important that nothing ever had to be hidden? Oh, you guys, that changes everything. Hiddenness is where um, it's the petri dish for sin. If I can take away hiddenness out of my family and, and my children know, for example, what if I, my kids knew that there was a different consequence for telling on themselves than for, than for getting caught. That would be so huge. What if uh, that's all I did in junior high was hide? What if my kids were able and had the permission? What if my friends, what if my wife didn't have to feel like she had to hide from me? Wow, you guys, that's why we say it. it's... It's less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden. Another good uh, active definition for humility is this. Humility is trusting God and others with me. See, the proud, they trust no one but themselves. The humble, and he says, I protect the humble. 
are those who trust me and some others with them. That's a great active definition of the humble. I love, I love how grace is not just a word of graciousness and, and, and all the puppies and, and unicorns and things. Grace is where power is. I love Romans 6.14 where it says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law. You're not under the principle of law, yet under grace. Sin will not be master over you because you're no longer under sin management or moralism or buck up or striving harder or laws or any of those things. Sin's not going to be master over you because you're under grace. That's a powerful truth to learn and to believe because the opposite is also true. Sin will master you if you choose to say under the uh, realm of law, you ought to, you should, what's wrong with you, when will you, why can't you? That kind of, that appeals to the flesh, sin will be master over you if you choose law over grace. So there's this beautiful, beautiful verse that kind of plays out what we're talking about. It's in, it's in Romans 15. Uh, it's verse 7. Such a good verse. It says this, Therefore, accept one another, just as God also accepted us to the glory of God. I, I love that the word, it's, it's proslambano. And it, it's such a cool thought. It means to take one to oneself. To take to oneself to grant one access into my heart, to take into friendship. Isn't that so good? Therefore, accept one another. Take each other to your heart. Let them in in friendship. Find those actively. Guys, so important for this place called River Oaks, for you to look around and not just just, hey, hey, how you doing? Doing fine. Things are good. How you doing at home? Yeah, you know, we got <laughs> several kids now, and it's pretty crazy. Enough. We got that down. What if we did this? Start it, and I know you're doing it already. I'm speaking to the choir. But we got to let each other in to know our stuff, to be able to get behind the screen where nobody else can see where the hidden thoughts are. To have a friendship that uh, gets to sometimes go there. What a beautiful word. See, when I think of limitations, I, I imagine all over this room, each, each of us could describe snags that we can't seem to solve no matter how mature we get or how hard we work, and it embarrasses us and we keep it hidden. So many of us don't get to experience love expressed in another's protection. Protection is like this. Instead of hovering over, I am facing everything that they are facing, standing with them in front of them. So in 
It describes this inability, this incapacity, this powerlessness, this weakness that every single person, sadly, does carry. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength in whatever area and not just please ourselves. That's a powerful gift. One of the defining characteristics of a limitation is it's something that's not necessarily going to get better. There are things about me that are just, they're limitations, weaknesses. They're just, they're not evil about me. They're just realities that I come with. My particular, Stacy's should have checked more carefully before she got married. She didn't. She didn't know I was going to carry out an empty recycling bin with a bad wheel. She does now. Anyways, there's some things. I, I, okay, I can't do geometry. I can't effectively use tools of any manner. I have little spatial awareness. I, I can rarely see those hidden objects embedded within pictures. I cannot be certain I still have my airline ticket without checking it many, many times. I'm never going to just do it on my phone. That could just go away so fast and people just saying, next, next in line. I can't retain familiar needed codes on my computer if I've been away for them for several days. After all the writing I've done, I've proven myself incapable of knowing what to put inside and outside the quotation. Someone help me. I cannot get the hang of portion control. I am annoyingly early to most events. I can't use my right arm for much more than fielding a ground ball. I am incapable of grilling meat to anyone's satisfaction. I cannot keep anything neat and orderly. I, 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 I can work on almost nothing under the hood of a car. I can't organize my day, I can't schedule a project, and I cannot keep to a schedule. I cannot come anywhere near touching my toes. I can sing, but I can't sing karaoke. I can read faster than I can speak. I, and I can't shoot skeet. So there's a kind of a fun list that you should know about me before you invite me over or ask me to fix your car. But, but there are some more serious ones that are true about me that probably are not going to change. I can't see myself accurately. I cannot easily bring myself out of shame. I can become hurtfully, irrationally subjective when I get triggered. It's extremely difficult for me to experience crisis in real time. I can freeze up when I get embarrassed and become the issue. I still, my, my, my brother was mentally ill and, and passed away. He was a psychotic. And I still, at this age, I have an irrational fear that I am becoming mentally ill. I have an irrational fear that you're going to leave me. I get irrationally agitated if we're late for anything. 
and I cannot always keep myself out of depression. Now those are real. And those, um, I need protection from a number of people. See, I discover I have limitations and they make me feel like I'm not enough or I'm too much. I, I feel like if, if others could really see me or know me that I'd be unloved and, and I'd be really unknown. And I can go through decades wondering why a God who says he loves me so much would, would not take them away. God, I could do so much good if I didn't have that baggage. And you say you give me those things? I know the things about sin, but you say you actually created me with those things. Why? And for decades, can't we, can't we just ask that question? I, I would be so much more valuable if that wasn't true. And truly, for decades, I asked that question. So I'm going to give you two statements. The first is this. God created each of us with limitations. Boom. God created each of us with limitations so we could love each other. He's so smart. This Jesus is so good. He is so beautiful. He is so wise. He's so circumspect. He just knows. He knows exactly. He goes, ah. See, see, John can be respected or honored or favored without limitations, but I only get meaningfully and actively loved when I allow you into my vulnerability. Love is the process of meeting needs. So Stacy only gets to love me when I let her into an area of my need. Any, anything else is just our hallmark sentimentality. But when I let her into a need, I get loved, and she feels awesome. Because she was created to love me, and when I don't let her, and I shut her out, and I go, I'm doing fine, and she doesn't know my needs, I break her heart. Oh, but when I let her in, she goes wild. She just goes, how can I stand with this man? He's, he's letting me in to his limitations. See, I can't overcome limitations by my own efforts. A limiting rule or circumstance is a restriction. A limitation can only be protected. And this is where God brings you in. You convince me that these limitations, that you're not ashamed of me, and that they're a way that you all get to love me. I said that, love is the process of meeting needs. I just want to give a quick survey, just so, just so we see it. 1 Corinthians um, 12.25 says, So that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same love for one another. Galatians 5.13 says, For we were called to free the freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens, and therefore 
fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that something? He says in, um, back in John 13, 34, I'm going to give you one commandment. Love each other. It's not even really a commandment. It's what you most want to do. It's like saying, eat more Mexican food. All right, if it'll help the team. Yeah. And so here, here's Paul 30 years later saying, bear with one another, and when you do that, you fulfill that one and only law of Christ. Bear with one another. Literally, this is it, guys. This is what I want you to do. There's, there's other side things, but it, get down and lift. Get down and lift and stand with and draw closer when they fail. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's limitations. First Peter 4.8 says um, something you should really know. Yeah. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. See, the the trouble is when I get wounded, when I get hurt, I give myself self-entitlement in pain and wounding. And all the things I blame God for that give me permission to fail. There can be this black spot in front of my eyes it says, God, I, uh, I don't think you can satisfy me as much as this sin. God, I've always been this way and it's always one. Those are self-entitlement statements. God, I don't believe you're powerful enough to change me. And God, I don't always think that you've been fully good to me and that you've been as good to me as you've been to them. And only that person in Galatians 6.2 gets the permission to earn the right to get behind the wall, get behind the wire, and get to hear those statements so that they can be corrected because in a self-chamber, they, they never get addressed. You know what's beautiful? One of the great grace gifts the only way for me to stop sin, a repetitive sin that I'm contemplating, is not to try harder to not do it, but to call a trusted friend. Do you, do you know that that, right there, it breaks the power of sin in the very moment. Hey, Jerry, I am, um, I'm, in, I'm, I'm about to go over to... And Jerry says, I'll be right over, I'll stop. He says, you, you say, you don't even have to come over. Just calling you and trusting you and letting you in before it happened. It broke the power. Not forever, not for everyone, but for this cycle for you. So powerful how God has made us. See, I can get information from anyone, but to receive insight, discernment, and wisdom and protection, I've got to trust another. Do, do you know that that's why I do? I come up here, and I, the first five minutes is just, can I get you to trust me? Can I get you to believe that I'm legit? 
because otherwise you'll get information from you, get facts about Nebuchadnezzar, but you won't get discernment or insight or wisdom. That's a gift that comes through the heart for those who trust. Does that make sense? So the deg- this is a rough one. The degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me no matter how much love you have for me. Boy, doesn't that inform a lot of parenting? The degree to which you trust me is the degree to which I get to love you no matter how much love I have for you. So uh, if love is the process of meeting needs, I'm just going to give you this little quick statement. I have to first, I have to acknowledge I have needs. I have to stop bluffing and hiding, and I have to acknowledge I have some needs, I have some limitations that I need help with. Then I look around in my world and I say, who seems to have a good bead on that? Who seems pretty, like, healthy in that, strong in that? Who could stand with me? And then I express a desire to you to help stand with me, meet one of my needs with an expression of your love. And then I have to make the choice to actually let you. And for Stacy, she goes into a whole different way than I would do it for her. But I'm trusting her that she's for me and she loves me. And I don't have to tell her how to protect me. And when I trust her, I get to receive her love. And when my needs are met, I'm fulfilled. It is a beautiful process that our God has given us. Well, to end this, um, I think the last time I was with you, I... I had a first edition of On My Worst Day out, and now I have a, a second one out. And in the first one, um, I told you the story of uh, boxcars, of something that happened to me um, way back in fifth grade, that I got violated sexually by a tough teenage kid who got me in a boxcar and then told me what I would have to do things I'd never thought of or heard of in my life. It freaked me out. It rocked my world. I got out of that train car and just went, no, 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 that didn't happen. No, 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 no one must hear. And so I never told anyone. All the way through fifth grade, all the way through junior high, all the way through high school, all the way through college, all through my wandering days, becoming a Christian, still never told anyone. Marrying Stacy, never told her. I was too ashamed. I was afraid that you would leave me or that you would feel embarrassed for me. Never told anyone. Kept it hidden. And it messed me up. Like hiddenness does. And what I want to tell you is one day I... I found myself telling someone. I sure didn't intend to. It just came out. And then I told Stacy... And now I can't stop telling people. And it's been beautiful. I mean, I get to go to, to 
to men's conferences and speak on those subjects and, and it's beautiful to watch men come out of the woodwork and just oh, experience freedom and healing. But I never thought, I never thought I'd experience any redemption from it. Like, like where somebody, where I could say, oh my gosh, that happened, but this happened. Never, for 55 years. One night, um, this is in the book, we, we got invited to a friend. He's a pastor, a good friend of mine. I preach his church over in Chandler, um, which means nothing to you. It's like saying Gunjanda, but over in Chandler, and he's wonderful, but he was having a birthday party. And young kids, they start their birthday parties later. And I like to have blankets over me by 9 o'clock. This party, 45 minutes away, started at 9 o'clock. Even if I drove by and just yelled out, Happy birthday, Doug! I would still be like an hour and a half late into my bed. I didn't want to be there at all. And so I get there and I'm talking to people because I speak at his church and, and there's this one guy over to the left and he's staring at me. And he keeps staring at me like a stalker would. And I'm thinking, what, I either owe him money or he owes me his life. What, what is he doing? And he stays staring at me and eventually the people I'm talking to leave and he comes right up to me. And he's all sweaty and messed up and he's odd. And I don't want to be talking to him. And he says, he says could I, could, 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 I know this sounds weird. I, I, I know that you, you got other people you talk, but I sure would like to talk to you. Talk to you. And, and I said, sure, that'd be fine. Inside I'm thinking, I just want to go home. For the love of all that's good, please leave me alone. But I, I said, yes. He says, can we go out in the front yard? Oh, and I'm thinking there's nobody out front. It's dark. These kids aren't going to leave the party for several hours. He could stab me and no one would even know. We go out front and, um, and he's still sweating. And I'll pick it up there. So anyway... No one was noticing. And so uh, I went out front with him. And he was nervously looking around to see if anyone was watching. And I started praying triple speed, God, help, protect me. You see this guy, right? And look, he said far too quickly, I know this seems strange. Give me just two or three minutes. I I've waited for this moment for two years. My name's Mark. My, my wife Tracy's here tonight. We're, we're a miracle story. We shouldn't be here alive. I mean, we've been through so horribly hard lives. I've tried to take my life. In junior high, and I, I, in junior high, I met the man who would later groom me and molest me. I came addicted to drugs and alcohol. My wife was sexually molested and physically abused by her stepdad almost daily from age 9 to 14. We were married at 16 and 17 and have been together for 40 years. Most of those years, we were in shattered relational brokenness. We've been homeless with our three kids. We we're both recovered meth addicts. I, and I was suddenly regretting the judgment of this man. The man standing in front of me was suddenly heroic. 
So, so I, I wandered into Doug's church and I found these people and th they've drawn out our hearts to God. Two years ago, I was still so new at this. You know, when you come to God, but the ugliness just doesn't leave you right away. Sexual abuse, it messes up the picture of who you really are, like you're never gonna be enough, like you aren't worth it to someone to respect you enough to not ruin you. You always feel like God has to endure you. And some time ago, I, I received a phone call from Doug inviting me to watch a movie with a group of guys. The thoughts of suicide were stirring in my head that night, as they s still sometimes do. I didn't want to go, but I went. And now he yells at me. I'm standing right in front of me, but he yells at me like I was across the street. Dude, you're in the movie. The heart of man, you're in it, dude. He now has his hands firmly on my shoulders and he is kindly shaking me and I was mesmerized. God was not just doing this for Mark, he was doing this for me. I suddenly couldn't wait to see where the story would go. A anyway, it gets to the section in the movie where you tell a story about getting violated in fifth grade and I froze in my chair. Somebody was telling my story. Somebody knew I was watching a man admit his life was horribly changed one day in a boxcar. John, I don't have words to describe what I felt watching you share your brokenness, but then you started talking about experiencing healing from Jesus. That you no longer saw yourself as an unneeded failure and I never seen that before. How could that be? How could you possibly see yourself so free? Not, not me. Never. Not ever fully for me. But sitting there in the dark, God was convincing me that you were telling the truth. At that moment, something changed. And I knew I would never be the same. I believed God could do the same for me. And at that moment, I wanted to stand up in the room and yell, Hey, do you hear this? Do you hear this guy? I'm going to be okay. This guy's me. Swear to God, I'm going to make it. John, God used you to convince me that I was redeemable. I'm not ever going to take my life now. He's freed me from the lie that I'm not going to be enough to be loved. My hands were now on his shoulders, and we both started to cry. He said, I knew I had to meet you. Then he, you showed up tonight. I'm so sorry I scared you. This beautiful letting others into your limitations is so sacred because God has a date, a time stamp, and a timeline for what he's doing for every broken thing in your life. Do you know that? He makes no mistakes with you. One night, 55 years later after fifth grade, I'm invited to a party I don't want to go to. And that night, um, John Lynch's story gets redeemed. This is what community is all about. Christ Jesus living in us. I love you, my brothers and sisters. Thank you.